0: The Watchers, a show where two women from opposite ends of New Jersey talk about important haircuts. <laughs> I'm Jody, and that's Andrea. <laughs> I got you with that one. That's what this, sh- this movie is in, like. The IMDb logline: A Texas teenager cuts her hair short and becomes an outlaw martyr with her brother and friend. This
1: haircut. This is a
0: movie about a haircut. Would
2: have rearranged my. Like everything about my brain chemistry, if I had seen it at a young enough age, do you know what? And you're Andrea, and for me, and I'm Andrea. For me, <laughs> that haircut is Deb and Empire Records when she shaves her head in the sink. Gotcha. Yes, could. It is iconic. We should, a lot of important haircuts in movies. I think yeah. we should. We should. That's. Uh, we could do like a dissertation on that. That is worth uh, further investigation. I bet someone has. I'll bet.
0: Yeah. I mean, I got I got the important haircut when I was 19 uh, and my boyfriend yeah. broke up with me. <laughs> I didn't shave my head. I wasn't that brave, but I did get the 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 pixie Helen Slater like fuck patriarchy
2: haircut. <laughs> wait, wait, you know what's so funny? Hold on. We're busting things wide open. I gave myself a haircut. This is not what's so funny and important. Okay. I just wanted to respond i'm not
0: surprised that you gave yourself a haircut like we're from that generation yeah
2: i gave myself a haircut when i was very young though um Mm -hmm. oh because we talked we talked about this when we were talking about bangs and so then i never (laughs) did again until i had a friend (laughs) until i got a little wine drunk um Mm -hmm. and uh had a friend give me an undercut um like I was probably a little too old for it. But before that, I had the same exact haircut forever because I learned my lesson at a very young age when I chopped all my hair off myself. Um, Oh. But the first. I didn't chop it off myself.
0: Sorry. No, that.
2: I mean, you did the right thing. That's the response. Well,
0: did I? I went to a hairstylist in the mall (laughs) without an appointment. Oh my God. A
2: mall hairstylist. It was a mall haircut in Jersey. Amazing. In 1990. I wanna say four or five. That is incredible. We're yeah. we're building a weird little vocabulary, I think, for <laughs> our show. And one of the things is important haircuts because the first thing we watched that wasn't yellow jackets was Rosemary's baby. Oh yeah. And her haircut is so important. Very
0: significant haircut. So
2: significant. Yeah. One of the most, I would argue, in film history.
0: Wait, are we is this podcast just gonna be like tracing the lineage of, of important haircuts I
1: think, in,
2: in feminist cinema? Right? Like I mean, it kind of might be happening. It makes sense to me. I, I just, I think that that is, wow. That's so funny. Yeah.
0: I hadn't thought about the Rosemary's Baby Connection. I
2: didn't until just now.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. So, okay. Sorry we were gone. I was in the woods um, with very little <laughs> Wi-Fi.
2: Um, but I promise if we ever miss a week because I'm unavailable, it's not because I'm in the woods. I don't know where I might be, but it will not be the woods.
0: <laughs> it won't be in the we'll woods.
2: Know.
0: Yeah, I was sleeping in a tent um, around lots of family members. I I didn't convince them to watch Yellow jacket. sadly. I think the premise was too much, but oh, but I did
2: think about who I would eat. <laughs> Man, you know it would be the show is in my So head. fun is a yellow jackets weekend in a cabin hold on maybe i would go again my version of camping in a cabin with electricity with walls we could like parvin state park um yeah and just to binge yellow jackets would be that'd be fun so fun fun. season three finale if we ooh cabin in the woods abs a hundred percent we should do that yeah listeners you guys are invited not in our cabin because I don't trust or know any of you and I'm from New Jersey so my head is on a swivel but yes. season three finale if you want to rent a cabin we'll hang yeah, out at the it'll lake it'll be like 2029 20, by then but <laughs> oh yeah. no I know our, I know the actor strike now too is yep. it was not happening last year and I talked I think it was on the table but it hadn't been uh, yeah
0: yeah officially my hope is that that actually speeds things up a little yeah. but who knows we'll find out but yeah I was in a cabin in the woods. Um, I did not have to kill anyone to eat them. <laughs> <laughs> there was uh human food, not food made of humans um, <laughs> to serve man. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no wifi. So apologies for the uh, unplanned miss last week, but uh, we are back to talk our like pop culture DNA movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is one that I was a little nervous about, but uh Also just have such a strong emotional connection to that it
2: had to appear on my list. I think this is a really fun exercise when like the first couple of movies we picked, I think we picked and were really intentional about. And now I like the idea of just being like, we're going to figure out together why this movie mattered so much to one of us.
0: Yeah. And how it connects to the other movies that, was, that matter to us because that's happening. It's
2: happening big time. I was surprised yeah. with this one as I was thinking about like, oh, I wonder how Jody and I are going to talk about this movie as I was watching it. Because it is it's a wild one. Mm-hmm. But the, some of the themes that were popping up, I was like, it's so funny how much of this conversation is being had over and over again in different ways.
0: Uh, To quote myself uh, about (laughs) two minutes into this movie, it's always dangerous being a
2: woman. It's just like this, this movie more than the ones that have actual murderers in them that we've watched so far, like has so much to do with the like, I'm trying not to be too buzzwordy about it, but the like (laughs) lack of agency around the narrative of like and even when this is a movie about i would say broadly like uh, uh like female empowerment kind of and mm-hmm. not even kind of and like yeah. you know taking action and in and fair is fair and all of that but so much of what happens in this movie has nothing to do with the choices that billy jean makes herself i think no so so maybe no. we
0: should I... t- talk yes. a little more uh yes and to quote myself from later in my own notes, why are men? Um, so, okay. So that's for those who are listening but haven't seen the movie yet. And also just to kind of, you know, set the table for our conversation. We will give a brief overview of the plot of the legend of Billie Jean. We have Billie Jean and her brother, Banks, played by great names. Helen Slater and Christian Slater. related. No relation. Not related. I know it's in every article. No relation. <laughs> they seem, they like, they, yeah, they seem like brother and yeah, sister. Yeah,
2: he yeah. is a baby in this movie.
0: He's so baby. I didn't
2: look up how old he was, but like,
0: it came out in '85, so he was 16. Okay, so Billy Jean and her brother, Binks, Binks are these are names. Yes. these are
2: names we name people in 1985.
0: Yeah, Billy Jean and Binks uh-huh. um, are brother and sister kind of trailer. Um, community, living, lower end of the economic spectrum. Um, there were a lot of uh, interesting sort of like class connotations that we can talk totally about in this. Totally,
2: yeah.
0: Um, but it's sort of a uh, David and Goliath bully story in a way, right? So there's the um, they're riding around on Binx's scooter. They stop for a milkshake. Hubie, Hubie Pyatt. Great, great name. Great name. This place takes place in Texas. Uh-huh. Important to stipulate. Um, is hitting on Billie Jean. Um, Binks defends her. Throws a milkshake in his face, and this starts the uh, pivotal events of the movie. There aren't
2: too many movies past the like mid nineties, I would say, where the whole thing hinges on a bully being a bully. Just because that's their role in yeah. in the like yeah social... he doesn't have a motivation yeah he's just a bully he's just a bully
0: yeah and that's a very eighties movie trope mm-hmm. that um, this is like just playing playing right into um, so as a result Hubie uh, steals Binks's scooter and um, Helen Slater's character Billie Jean goes to try to get the money from his dad to repair the scooter and instead of giving her six hundred and eight dollars. Very important. Um, he sexually harasses her. Instead. Just like
2: immediately. Yeah, he's disgusting. It's like he's just been waiting around for a young girl to walk into his shop so he can sexually harass her. Like, mm-hmm. and he sexually harasses her, but it is one scene away from being full-on sexual assault. Like he's yeah, he's not he's like grabbing her. Yeah, he's not yeah. just being like a creepy old man, which would have been bad enough. He's like
0: yeah, yeah. He's like physically moving towards mm-hmm. her and all of that. Um, so then during this time, Binks has come inside, found a gun in the cash register. There's a, there's a confrontation. Um, and he shoots, Binks shoots, uh, Hubie's dad, Mr. Pyatt, one of our main villains in the shoulder. Mm-hmm. Um, he, Hugh not Hubie, excuse me. Uh, Binks didn't know that the gun was loaded. Well, because uh, he's told it wasn't right. Loaded. Yeah.
2: So like
0: by Mr. Pyatt,
2: what did he think? Yeah.
0: And then they go on the run
2: immediately, no other thoughts. It is just run. I I was a, yeah, that was a little surprising to me. I I mean, it's an it's the inciting kind of insane initial reaction. Yeah, I mean, I I know that this is a movie. What I kind of liked about this movie though is how quickly it popped off that way. Like
0: yeah,
2: um, they they there's not a lot of build up to that. It's just a few scenes and then they're on the run.
0: Right. Um, and so they immediately start throwing their uh, important belongings into bags <laughs> and uh, we get the introduction of our two sidekick characters, the absolutely delightful Yardley Smith and um, Martha Gemmon, also from Practical Magic in 1998.
2: Ah. 1980- yeah um, Yardley is they're both they're both really likable, but Yardley Smith, I, I mean delightful and it's I know part of it is that like you hear Yardley's voice and like I think it's impossible not to love Lisa Simpson you know yeah. what I mean like you y- hear Lisa yeah and it's she's just there so like that's part of it um but she's also so fun in this movie she she's... is
0: such a delightful mm-hmm. character like impish and mischievous and clearly dealing with some shit but spunky mm-hmm. you know and
2: watching um. her pack is such a like i don't know if you oh were oh my god it's such a comedic uh, scene. yeah and i don't know if you were an overdramatic child who often threatened of course to... i was <laughs> who often threatened to run away i think but... i made like what was it called a bindle uh-huh
0: because <laughs> i was gonna run away
2: oh yeah i packed i packed a bag or a suitcase like once a month and it oh, always yeah. had i don't know what i my, my survival Did you put skills your marbles in it <laughs> though <laughs> If I had a marble collection, it would have come with me. Yeah. It was like that. Yeah.
0: That's fair. So they run away. Um, A manhunt starts to heat up for them because, of course, they shot a town businessman. Um, And while they're on the run, they somehow end up breaking into the house of a, a very strange boy, man, person around Billie Jean's age named Lloyd who helps them record a now iconic video, demand letter, defense of their actions,
2: truth-telling moment. It's so, the it's very teen logic, I think, because I'm like, this is all, ostensibly, this is all over them wanting the $608 and it has to come directly from Mr. Mr. Pyatt. Pyatt. Yes, but as far as yes, it's the principle. which, thing. like I do, I get that part of it. But as far as they know whether this would have happened or not, they think they're if they turn themselves in, they're all going to jail. That's why they're yeah. on the run. Mm-hmm. That six hundred eight dollars isn't gonna like. It's not gonna get them out of jail. It's not gonna get them out of jail. I know.
0: I know. This is like. You know how we were talking about the like horror movie tropes where it's like. Just don't go upstairs. Mm-hmm. Just don't do this. Just don't do that. Like, in this movie, they could have made a dis- different decision, ev- like,
2: every five minutes to make this not happen. It's so funny to watch them make these bad decisions and do everything kind of wrong the whole time, but yeah. still watch. I mean, it's it's literally called The Legend of Billie Jean. Still watch their legend, especially Billy Jean's, obviously grow up around them despite all of that. Like,
0: yeah. Yeah. And so... While right before she makes this iconic video, she cuts off all her hair, as we referred to at the beginning of this podcast. Um, very iconic bathroom scene.
2: Because she has just watched the uh Joan of Arc, Joan of Arc. movie. Yep. Yep. It, Jody Andrea. This movie isn't it's it doesn't it actually do you
1: Does <laughs> it Andrea. real
2: because It thinks I think I mean, uh, no, this movie is presenting itself as if it's a sort of like retelling or allegory or something of Mm -hmm. Joan of Arc. Mm -hmm. But it's not. But does Mm -hmm. the movie know that it's not?
0: So this is a really important question that I think we need to dive into. But let's finish the summary first, because this is something that was addressed in that Washington Post article that I found. Gotcha. Okay. so they send this video recording of a freshly shorn Billie Jean in her scuba top <laughs> outfit.
2: Incredible clothing choices. It's so good. It's such a like g- like a teen trying to be cool in the eighties choice. Like it's she the MTV really, aesthetic. Totally, is
0: what it is. She it's the mid-80s she's the mid eighties MTV crushing aesthetic. Crushing it. Yeah. And oh, I yeah. would have
2: thought she was crushing it too if I were a teen in eighty five.
0: Yeah. Like. So, and one of my favorite little moments in the movie is when. He's making lots of copies of the videotape, obviously, (laughs) because this is 85. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of them is delivered to the police station by a very small redheaded child for some reason.
2: I don't think that child is real. (laughs) Andrea. I think there's a ghost in this movie.
0: Andrea. This is not that movie. That child has
2: no lines. I know. He just walks in with the tape. Where did they find that kid? hes he's like, this is a prequel to Chucky, I think.
0: I know. I love that scene so much. I don't know why. It is so strange. He just wanders in, hands him a videotape. It makes no sense. And of course, they just like accept it. The kid walks out and they play the tape and it's Billie Jean.
2: Do you think he's the town's child messenger? So they're (laughs) used to receiving packages from the small... That's his redheaded job. child. He <laughs> just
0: wanders around with videotapes,
2: and he's been doing it for centuries. <laughs> like it used to he's be, like he was the town crier. Oh my god! And then a ghost stole his voice, and now oh he god. can only deliver.
0: I can't. I love what? that scene. Um, it's so bizarre. We also have met at this point the the police officer that is constantly trying to communicate with Billy Jean, played by Dean Stockwell, in a very st- sort of. Uh, fish out of water feeling
2: like he's kind of in another movie um but he's great Dean Dean Stockwell means so much to me um as uh he's a a very important character in the Battlestar Galactica reboot okay he's also uh Quantum Leap I think is probably what people are more familiar with him from Mm -hmm. um he is a so hateful in Battlestar Galactica in such a delicious way. He's so fun to watch in that show.
0: And I think in this movie, because um, because of what he looks like and who he is, we kind of expect him to be the bad guy. Yeah. And, and because he's a cop and because he's like, you know, trying to find them. But he ends up not really being the bad guy in a way. Like he
2: he He's kind of a cop who's sort of just trying to do his job
0: yeah, he, in a weird and way. And he doesn't like... Mr. Pyatt, clearly. Yeah. Um, so, after this video gets out, uh, Billie Jean becomes something of a teen celebrity. And suddenly there's this army of Billie Jeans walking around. I Here's my question. When the creators of this movie, who I believe are white men, I should look that up, but I'm almost positive, um, had an army of mini Billie Jean's transporting our Billie Jean, a fugitive around wherever they were, Texas, Mm -hmm. were they in their notes writing the underground railroad of white girls with haircuts? Uh, Like, was that explicit on the page?
2: Well, here's what I will say is that there are many, many other people have said, I, okay, I shouldn't say many, because actually, this movie hasn't had a uh, ton of coverage, mm-hmm. actually. But we are not the first two people to use that phrase to talk about her. Um, okay,
0: that makes me feel better. Her, Because I wrote yeah, that and down I, and was like, this is a crazy sentence. But it immediately but it just... came into
2: my brain. But it just is. And I think... And they're referencing my guess history is... in other ways. They're referencing Joan of right. Arc the whole fucking time. Exactly. And again, not a Joan of Arc... No. Not actually. So no. it also would make sense that they think... I think if you ask these filmmakers, they would say that, like, Billie Jean is a stand-in for any kind of person who has felt, like wronged sure like oppressed represented unfairly sure and in that way they would also because clearly
0: the the troubles of a a poor white girl from texas fully are equal to uh slavery in the u.s i am kidding
2: Uh, i think our listeners know you are you are kidding and that is but i just have to be like this is one of the yeah Yeah. one of the issues here is is that i think um it it's an issue i often find when like I, like... Wait, can we... Let's
0: finish the recap real quick. Just so that we have the full story, and then we'll come back to this, because I think this is a longer discussion. So, she's on the run. She turns in Putter and Ophelia. She runs away from her brother to try to save them all, basically. she's Because she's the target now. Um, And then they organize a, like, exchange of money and a scooter with the, the cop who we realizes kind of on their side and kind of not
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, but
0: in the process of doing that binks gets shot crazy yeah there there was a second where i thought he was gonna die yeah me too the first time i saw this movie not Mm -hmm. like the 20th but yeah um and then we have this like very very dramatic end scene where (laughs) he finally just tries to give her back the money and she like throws it back at him and then the the tourists souvenir stand with pictures of her all over it like that he's been lights on fire yeah um and pat benatar plays dramatically like the ending of this movie is really kind of not an ending like what happens no at the end of this movie she burns down the the t-shirt stand
1: right, accidentally sort because of
0: joan of arc so there has to be a fire A fire yeah exactly but then like what binks is shot she
2: maybe goes to jail but maybe I, not no because there's that last scene they run away they oh, that's away. right oh that's
0: right that's right that's right i always forget about the last scene okay
2: yeah because it's because it's crazy. so weird
0: <laughs> so this whole time i feel like i should have mentioned vermont earlier
2: oh yeah yeah, yeah. this whole
0: time binks has been talking about how great vermont is I love that this movie is two kids from Texas just desperate to get to New England.
2: Like, well, what? And, Yeah. And because... Now it
1: makes Billy, sense Billy
2: Jean has been there. Right. Right. And Which is weird because they're pretty close in age. So... Yeah. I don't know how that... And they're quite poor. And Texas yeah. is quite far from Vermont. And I couldn't tell... Maybe this was just me not watching close enough. Were they... I didn't get the impression... Because their father is dead. That's yeah. how... Banks could afford his um, moped or whatever in the first place. He got some money when his father passed away. It's not that they, like, grew up or were growing up in Vermont
1: Mm-mm. and
2: doing okay and their dad died and their mom fell on hard times and had to, like, move back home or something. You don't get that backstory. If that's the case, they don't tell us. Right. And so, so... I don't know where in Billie Jean's life her mom would have or her family would have had the means for them to move them, you know, like... The whole thing it's is a little very strange. murky. Yeah. But Vermont is this beautiful utopia to them in their heads. I mean, to be mostly to... because it's not
0: hot. <laughs> yes. It's mostly temperature related. And honestly, <laughs> watching this movie from the middle of a sort of unprecedented climate rain mm-hmm. situation in New England, while there is an unprecedented summer heat problem yeah. in the South was kind of wild
2: yeah it's That's very something... specific to the week i watched it that is really interesting though like relief of the rains
0: but also the immense flooding that just happened in vermont and like took out londonderry and montpelier like it <laughs> is this movie a climate movie
2: <laughs> this movie might be a climate movie
0: it might be like texas has been in the hundreds for days now weeks now
2: it does this movie is really warm like uncomfortable especially the scenes in the trailer park and around it like mm-hmm. it's so like the colors are so washed out like it looks like looking yeah
0: you can feel the heat
2: mm-hmm. yeah like, totally. everything feels really baked
0: like. yeah and i think that's why when i watched this as a kid it felt like so distant from me mm-hmm. even though the themes were like totally obviously what i was into right um but it felt like it took place on another planet because i grew mm-hmm. up in jersey we didn't yeah. have deserts and dry heat no Side note, when I was a little kid, my allergies were so bad that I had to stay inside on during gym class. My mom asked the doctor, is there anything else we can do? Because I was getting shots. And he said, the only thing that I could recommend is move to a drier climate like Arizona. <laughs> and my mom was like, yeah, sure. We can afford that with our Ford Pinto and our, uh, you know, well, my, that's my also very, retail job.
2: Like weirdly Victorian. Like, yeah, like I needed to be like, to the countryside. <laughs> like, yes. yes, different
0: air. Yes, exactly. So, yeah, so the ending actually is them running away to Vermont, which I had already forgotten about, even though I've seen this movie a million times, because it makes no fucking sense.
2: Well, because it almost feels to me like if you found out now that the filmmakers were like something nobody picked up on is that when Binks was shot, actually, he died. And Billie Jean did burn alive in that fire. And that last scene is heaven, is heaven. You keep trying to make this a spiritual movie. And I, it's just not. It's well, just not. The Joan of Arc thing. I know.
0: The Joan of Arc thing is is definitely like a it brings it's, in things that maybe don't belong in this movie.
2: It's so forced. Is If you told me this movie was written by teenagers, I would believe yes! it. Yes! The logic is so teen, which I which I like, but it's which is, weird. Yeah. Which is why it spoke to me. So this came out in 85
0: and I was 10. Right? Perfect. I probably watched Perfect. it when I was like 11, 12.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I could not have been at a more perfect age for the message of this movie,
1: Mm -hmm. which
0: is being a woman is really fucking hard and men are creeps and, like, nothing is fair and being poor sucks and, like, rich people have all the power and, Mm -hmm. like, just burn that shit down. Like, I could not have... I mean, I was literally, like, listening to Metallica and Skid Row at the time and being, like... (laughs) Or maybe not Skid Row yet. But being, like, you know, fuck the system... Fuck old man. Right. And learning I've been like, what I'm of... saying, Andrea, is I've been
2: like this my whole life. <laughs> um, I'm not surprised to hear that. And learning that one of the things you can do to combat that is get a cool haircut and a really cool outfit and an awesome
0: station wagon. Again, go sleep in a mini golf course. That's the dream. Isn't it? So it's very. Um, OK, wait. Did you ever read from the mixed up files of Mrs. Basilie Frankenwheeler?
2: Hey, hey, Jody. If you had to guess, if you had to guess. I think I would have hung up if you hadn't. <laughs> because that it would have changed my opinion of you as a person so deeply. Everything to me. That it book is, is all incredible. I have ever wanted in my life. We I need also, to do a podcast on that book. Oh, oh, now Jody's ready for a book club. I love that okay. book so much. Okay. So so much.
0: Okay, anyway. For those of you that haven't read the B- <laughs> what year did that come out?
2: Oh <laughs> uh, that I mean before either of us were born. Yeah. Um
0: mixed up files of Mrs. Basil E. Frankenwheeler came out. 1968. Yeah. For those of you that haven't read this delightful children's book, it's worth reading as an adult.
2: Oh, it's so fantastic. It's the dream. It's the I dream. No.
0: It is. Um okay. So that's generally the plot of the movie. It's very shaggy. It kind of falls apart in a lot of places. Um but I think that the mood and visuals of the movie are more the reason people responded to it. The like, mm-hmm. fuck the patriarchy. This is an MTV video kind of feeling of it was why it became so. And it wasn't like a, didn't do well in right. the theaters, um, but it became sort of a cult movie and um, Okay, so what are some of the things that I thought we should talk about with this movie? First of all, just tell me your impressions, because I this was my movie. Um, I was really afraid when I gave it to you <laughs> to watch, because it's definitely of its time in like the most significant way, and I hadn't watched it in a while.
2: I had such a good time watching this movie. Yeah. I, I don't know. I will say objectively i don't think it's a good movie i know, no, i wouldn't claim that uh, and i think but i don't think that's the point i don't think that no. i here's how i feel it's like don't know that i think it's a no i don't think it's a good movie and i don't think that matters at all yeah. <laughs> like this is a movie i will watch again yeah well <laughs> like, and so here's the thing
0: Mo- like you know this is a weird comparison but like some of the most iconic like kevin smith movies right hmm when you think about them from the perspective of, like, like Clerks is one of my favorite movies of all time. Would I say that's a great movie? Yes. yes. Oh, wait.
1: Hold on. <laughs> but, is it, but from a is traditional it
0: movie, like, <laughs> I don't even know if I can criticize Clerks, like, without feeling like a terrible person. But... You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean. Mm -hmm. Like, it doesn't have to be because it's so brilliant on other levels. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It's not about that plot movie perspective. Like, what is the plot of Clerks? Right? It's not about that. Who cares? Exactly. Right. That's kind of how I feel about this
2: movie. Um, Okay, so tell me more. You had fun. I I did. I had a great time. I am truly fascinated by the Joan of arc or lack thereof
0: yeah. of it. she watches I, the
2: movie and cuts her hair and that's about it and there's a fire and like that would be fine but I think the movie thinks it's doing more with it right? yeah okay so this is where I should bring in that bit that archived
0: uh, article I found so this is from July 22nd 1985 in the Washington Post by uh, Paul Atenasio I don't know sorry Paul if you're still around and so it's this whole review of the movie. It calls it trashily, trashily manipulative and utterly preposterous. <laughs> so much so that until
2: I hope the, somebody describes
0: our podcast as that. That'd that'd that's great. amazing. That'd be great. Until the end, when it begins to sour on you, it's a thoroughly enjoyable hoot. So thoroughly enjoyable
2: hoot is exactly this. Yeah. Yes. This movie was a hoot. It was a hoot. Yes. <laughs>
0: yes. He says, add a splendid cast and good air conditioning, and it's a perfectly mindless way to spend a muggy <laughs> summer evening.
2: Totally. Totally. Yeah,
0: yeah so, the cast
2: is lovely. The like, cast every- is great. They're so fun.
0: He even says here, the cast is at least too good by half <laughs> for what the movie is. <laughs> um, but so this is this is exactly what you're saying. He says, the legend of Billie Jean is partly intended as a satire of the American machine of celebrity. But it's mostly supposed to be taken straight. And much of the fun of the movie lies in trying to tell the two apart.
2: Um, Yeah. Wow. That's so insightful for being so like, yeah, there's no hindsight. Like that's the immediate review.
0: Yeah. And so he says the producers have come up with a formula so invincibly rigid it inevitably descends into self parody. But their movies never tip you off as to how aware of this
2: they are. Wait, so these filmmakers, what else have they made?
0: Okay. Cuz so it Peter sounds like Gruber they're not and John Peters. Flashdance?
2: Okay. You know I've never seen Flashdance.
0: Oh, I saw Flashdance. <laughs> Brag. Yes. Well, it's there's certain movies that you don't realize are a part of your queer awakening until you realize they are a part <laughs> gotcha. of your queer awakening. Gotcha. This movie being one of them. Um Vision Quest also.
2: Yeah, um, another one I've never seen.
0: But he says, "Billie Jean knees someone in the groin three times. Actually, is this a stand-up and cheer moment or a parody of a stand-up and cheer moment? Billie Jean cuts her hair, and it becomes a fad. Is this a satire of fads or an attempt to start one? Sometimes it plays like satire, but in a movie so dense with market tie-ins, the scooter,
1: yeah,
2: among others, it's hard to tell. So, wow, that is genuinely fascinating. Yeah, totally. That's exactly what it is. It's so hard to like."
0: Yeah, is this like When sincere? you're watching
2: it. Because I will tell you, when I watched this
0: as a 12-year-old, I took it so fucking seriously. Of
2: course you did. Yeah. Cu- how could you not? Because
0: I was already being sexualized by disgusting old men at 12 years old, right? And so like, for me, this was like, this is telling the truth about how it is. and Yeah. You know? So it does have that like, how serious are they taking this versus how serious are we supposed to take it?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and there's so many like the like the marble like just thinking of like the the like parts of it that point to, to me anyway of of it being satire like like that they you know Yardley packs what's her name in the movie? She's got a good name. Oh, uh, Putter putter yeah uh, uh, i love her putter, so much putter packs her marbles yeah. and then they end up playing Using a ma- role like like a fucking scooby-doo there's it's like a the mall best. chase scene and it's so funny it's the but best it's and like home alone it's like very teen brain yeah yeah which is why i'm like so it, maybe it's, maybe i don't need maybe i've just now decided i don't need this movie to be realistic or to make sense when right. you think of it that way yeah
0: yeah no totally um and I think that so a couple of other things from this review that I thought were notable, it does have. So I looked up when the movie 10 came out, because do you remember the poster for the movie 10? No, that was 79 with Bo Derek.
2: Oh, there's yeah, this, yeah, yeah. Of course. There's
0: this like hyper of Helen Slater's character. In this Mm -hmm. movie that is very clearly written by a a man. It just fits really well with the time and who was making these movies. So it's like Mm -hmm. it's this feminist polemic of like Billie Jean being this like I'm going to cut my hair and blah, blah, blah. And yet like she's wearing very little clothing throughout most of this movie. Mm -hmm. Has never heard of a bra. Um, (laughs) Can't can't find one in Texas, apparently. Um, Even this. Even this um, review that I was reading that has all these insightful things in it also calls her, he says, Helen Slater has curves that hug the summertime, which is a disgusting phrase.
2: So gross and Um, so unnecessary.
0: Yeah. And he also says that producer Rob Cohen is one of that diehard group that wishes the 60s had never ended. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I should look into that. But uh, he says, and Billie Jean bears its mark and it's ersatz populism. It's espousal of good guy issues like child abuse, it's evil politicos and trigger happy National Guard and its condemnation of material culture. In the climax, everyone burns Billie Jean paraphernalia in a huge self-righteous bonfire. The mark of Pyatt sleaziness is that after the shooting, he goes right ahead and sells a poster of a scantily clad Billie Jean.
1: Mm -hmm. And
0: so like, there is this sort of having it both ways of this feminist movie with this icon who is like not wearing very much, which is fine. Fun. Wear whatever the fuck you want, obviously. Right. But it's from it's very male gazy, I think what I'm trying totally. to say. Without using any uh buzzwords, it is still <laughs> a very very male gaze. Um
2: in the way she's portrayed. And also there, playing with that at the same time. Yeah, I'm I'm every time I start to say something, I worry I'm giving this movie too much credit. We probably when, are, but because- because, like, even the, like, there's a version of this movie and we have talked a lot about how media portrays, like, victims mm-hmm. um, and different, like, issues of the time in the movies we've watched so yeah. far. Um, Talking about Heathers and Scream and now, mm-hmm. and now The Legend of Billie Jean. And, like, it, the, there's an interesting way to look at this, which is. If we're taking this as some sort of Joan of Arc story, mm-hmm. the burning at the end, not of Billie Jean herself, if this was a straightforward like, retelling, straightforward retelling, whatever, it would be Billie Jean who would go up in flames, right? Right. But it's not. It's the product. It's of the her image. figure of her image that goes up in flames. Yeah, of
0: and the that's... image that she didn't create herself that kind of got out of hand. Well, she started. It... kind of started, but then went out of her control
2: yeah um, and it's also not I mean she makes the video but it's at Lloyd's encouragement and, mm-hmm. and he's behind the, the camera yeah and the cult of personality that comes up around her is one that has very little really to do with her other than oh, the haircut yeah. um, so there is something interesting there and mm-hmm. then it is that, that that burning is not the movie doesn't actually do this but that figure is burned and then the next time we see Billie Jean she is in some way, free again mm-hmm. in, in heaven, <laughs> in in in, in heaven, Vermont, Vermont. <laughs> slash heaven. As someone um, who's camped
0: in Vermont a number of times this summer, I will agree that Vermont may actually be some sort of <laughs> mythical heaven. I um, really
2: do like Vermont, and I don't like anywhere that isn't New Jersey. It's so a that's, great place. That's saying something. Yeah, it's delightful. But again, I don't I don't think the movie was that was that insightful. Was actually being that, th- or the filmmakers were being that thoughtful. You don't
0: think they were studying semiotics before they made this movie? <laughs>
2: You don't think they were
0: they were reading Judith Butler <laughs> or uh, any of the other people I had to read in grad school who I've blocked out. What I mean, Judith it could Butler be Butler have
2: to say about the legend of Billy.
0: <laughs> oh my god, I need that article. How's that
2: for gender performativity. Yeah, anyway.
0: <laughs> well, okay, but seriously, let's actually take this to its logical conclusion. Mm-hmm. If we're talking about gender in the this movie, right? She cuts her hair but she's still very feminized and very sexualized. But it is in the eighties. That was quite like, that was about as far as I could see a pop culture product taking a rejection of traditional femininity.
2: Yeah. Well, and they make it a point before she cuts her hair and, and puts on her cool, like vaguely androgynous outfit, kind of she, her clothes are very like, Uh, stereotypically feminine. Before that, like I said, it's all pastel. She's got this long, like very like feathery, uh, very pale blonde. Yeah, braided hair. Right. So the like the that that contrast is there very intentionally. Definitely, they definitely think they're like doing something pretty radical there. Even
0: in the fabric she's wearing, like as someone who is interested in textiles, she's wearing these like very loose, light sort of almost see-through, summery fabrics, and then she's wearing like literally half of a scuba top, it seems like, that's made of neoprene. So I think to bring it back to the purpose of this podcast, which is kind Mm -hmm. of to talk about why these things were so important to us and why Mm -hmm. they are sort of our specific pop culture DNA. And like you said, like if you'd seen this when you were a teenager, it would have been really important to you. It presented this idea of the powerful, sort of almost androgynous but not tomboy figure that like took the power back from the patriarchy in a way that Mm -hmm. was like as like necessarily palatable as it had to be for the nineteen eighties for a movie written by white men, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: but still captured enough of that feeling. Yeah. And the fact that Pat Benatar... <laughs> of course. ...is heavily
2: uh, featured in this film. And if film. you don't poke too hard at it, if you are 10, 12, whatever, 15 right. years old, this is a movie where a a girl and her brother are wronged, they fight back, mm-hmm. they, they become celebrated for fighting back, mm-hmm. and then they find freedom at the end. Yep. Like, that's amazing. In Vermont. In Vermont. Yeah. So, like...
0: And I will tell you, I did not poke too hard at this movie when I was twelve years old. So. Of course, you didn't. Yeah, but I, I do think there's something to be said for the message, that is, the like, the less good side. The wow, words, <laughs> um, the more problematic side of the message, which is that she's still in her rebellion, celebrated for being young, blonde, and hot. Right. You know, like, obviously, that's, you know, not it's but that's what I mean about it being palatable for a movie audience in
2: 1985, Mm -hmm. you know. Well, and the fact that the way that. That she is celebrated by the women looking up to her is that they all decide to cut their hair like Mm -hmm. her and dress like her Mm -hmm. is another way that her like when When you talk about this movie being male gazy, and like you know we're talking about it, like trying to make a statement and sort of failing that it's like her actual body becomes like literally objectified and and a commodity and co- commodified is the word I wanted. Yeah. Thank you so much, yeah, and commodified in the the way that like other young girls can just take on her persona and put it on and the way that it's literally sold on pictures, like that's yeah. all. That all matters here. And it's, it is. And yeah, it's, yeah, it's this movie is doing it all like 12 different ways because it's the fact that it's Mr. Pyatt who is benefiting from the sale of her Mm -hmm. body, like is so.
0: But also, so I want to circle back to the young girls dressing like her. So 1985 is, I think, pretty prime Madonna times. Um, I'm going to bring Madonna into the chat here. Um, oh, this is Desperately Seeking Susan time. Oh, no,
2: amazing. Which
0: is another movie that I thought about having us watch. And the thing that happened with Madonna in the mid 80s is the dressing like her thing in everyday right. life, right? Right. Girls started wearing lace fingerless gloves. Mm-hmm. Girls started like taking on a lot of the um, the look of Madonna. And it was a very... Um, in-your-face sexuality, but it was also a very I-own-my-own-body kind Mm -hmm. of thing. Right. And because this is so similar to that time frame, I could not help but think of um, specifically the look from, it's not Material Girl, like a virgin maybe, um, the look that people kept copying of hers at the time
1: Mm
0: -hmm. that was very... It wasn't for the male gaze right you know it was it was a little bit male gaze because it was sexualized and madonna was very pretty but it really wasn't for that mm-hmm. for the girls that were dressing up like madonna mm-hmm. it was to show this like freedom right um yeah so yeah i just wanted to pull that out just because i feel like that specific reference to all the girls copying her look hmm. Just completely seemed to me like a reference to that time period and specifically right. Madonna.
2: Right. Yeah, I could totally see that.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about 1985. Well, 1985 I will say five was OK. Before we talk about the movies of 1985, uh-huh. just to keep just to finish off this Madonna thought. This was the Virgin tour, which was um, the year of like the big debut Madonna concert tour Mm -hmm. she's got the bustier she's got the lace gloves she's got the whole look going so I'm, I'm feeling very justified in my comparison to Madonna right now
2: yeah and I think what what you're saying there too is that like the idea of women choosing Madonna and in this movie choosing Billie Jean young women especially to emulate like you said not not because they think and and in the case of Billie Jean, maybe not especially, but explicitly, not because they think it's what... They're not thinking like, oh, men find this attractive, right. so I will try to look yes. like her. So men... It's not about that. Yes. It's about like aligning with... Yep. And, with this and, sense
0: of rebellion and freedom. And like freedom is the best word I can think of to, to describe it. it. It also a little bit reminds me... We talked about Gwen Stefani um, through the lens of Yellow Jackets a while ago and how... Mm-hmm. At the time in the mid 90s, she was like now we look back and we're like, ooh, some issues there. But like that she was a feminist icon through her clothing, through her like, you know, sort of co-opting of the look of Scott the look of, you know, (laughs) the other things. But and but still like for what we knew and had at the time. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, I think it's significant. I don't think it's lost on either of us or our listeners, though. And it it is worth worth saying that. The three women we have just mentioned are thin, beautiful, blonde women. A hundred percent. That's part of of it. Of course that's part of it. It's a huge part of it. But it it but it was still significant and and I think it is it is totally worth highlighting. And
0: I also think that it's a little bit it's interesting to think about in the context of 2023. Like who are those people right now for teenagers and for like young kids? I think for a minute it was Billie Eilish, right? Yeah in her giant clothing. And Absolutely. still a very pretty, feminine, thin, young woman, but because but who dressed in a way that wasn't emphasizing that, that was mm-hmm. actually kind of like shrouding Trying. it. Right.
2: Which, and again, we could go, we could toss this, I know this could beach be- ball back and forth forever because it's like, and, and the fact that she felt compelled to do that is also, is a different kind of problem yeah. in our, of course, that... Because like, it was a
0: purposeful rejection of a certain aesthetic that it was right. would have, you know, people would have, people, uh, male executives would have preferred probably that she chose a more traditionally feminine
2: presentation. Right, right. Yeah. I think it is, huh. it's so funny that we don't have, it's like, it's, I mean, the big ones are that I, when you said that, my first, like, Thought would have been Taylor Swift, of course. Mm-hmm. I mean, we yep. see that is that's something like yeah. think about all the ta- Taylor Swift being on tour right now. Yeah, and the the dressing for if, it, the exactly, concert. Exactly, if you go see Taylor Swift, is you dress up like Taylor Swift, and it is not for men it is no women are not dressing up like taylor swift so men will like it's not about that it's for taylor it's for each other and it's for taylor like it really is it's for her and it's it's for the other fans to see and it's like that is really Hmm. interesting and it is actually um and it's it's something that i guess we do still see happening you don't it's funny because like you don't you don't see the same thing who are other huge like mega stars like that right now Billy's a great one mm-hmm. Taylor Beyonce of course and people course. dress up and make a spectacle of that but it's not the same it's not right. in the same way right it's
0: yeah I think that with Beyonce in particular she's such an elevated figure that people- it's like you can't <laughs> yeah you can't take that on yourself you're not right. gonna, you're gonna yeah. you're so far from the standard that she has set mm-hmm. that it's impossible to try to replicate it yeah yeah. Huh. Now I want to write a dissertation about <laughs> the idea of a, a female army around a pop star. Right. Yeah. And the, the clothing choices and all that. Okay. Other things, other themes that we noticed throughout the film besides, obviously, the things we're interested, in, which are the feminist and queer undertones. I mean, I will say that as a young queer, by whatever kid... I don't think I understood why I liked this movie so much until <laughs> watching it again as an adult. Oh yeah, y'all bet. <laughs> uh, yeah, as soon as it started, and I was like, "Oh, this is wait, okay, yeah. maybe this is why it appealed to me <laughs> in the first place." I will say, we have yet to watch Pump Up the Volume,
2: uh-huh. but I Keep think threatening.
0: that as as a by teen you could put the pairing of billy jean and lloyd and the pairing of samantha mathis's character and christian slater uh-huh. in pump up the volume and very clearly see where it all started <laughs> like, where does this come from okay it's these types of pairings mm-hmm. it's like the brooding sensitive pre cell sort of trench coat wearing nerdy guy and the like punky rebellious feminine but androgynous like girl and their pairing specifically the fact Mm -hmm. that those two people are attracted to each other right is so the kernel of all of it like (laughs)
2: it's just it's also that's also heathers that's christian slater and winona Winona rider in heathers yeah also I'm so sorry that one of your hosts, listeners, has just the worst ADHD. But now another thing I'm thinking about as you're talking about these different kinds of pairings and, the, and specifically the male leads in these movies. Mm-hmm. I'm less interested in general in talking about men yeah. <laughs> for a podcast, Fair. but there's also a thread in here. Think about all of the lead males in these movies and their relationships and their relationships to their fathers. yeah. No, I like, knew exactly where you were going with that one. Christian Slater and his awful dad. Yeah. The, even the bully in this movie and his dad. Also Lloyd and his dad, who we find out is running for... Like attorney general or something. Or something like that. Yeah. Uh, What other movies have we watched so far? Well, so we haven't watched Pump of the Volume yet. But you're describing... I, I don't so know. So in that but... movie,
0: interestingly enough, his dad is not the evil dad. Uh-huh. But his dad is a very unaware dad. His dad is significant in that his dad is the reason that they're in this town, Uh that they moved basically from New York to the middle of suburban Arizona for his dad's job. Mm -hmm. Um, And his dad somehow doesn't know that his son has a full radio station in the basement (laughs) and is this celebrity pirate radio DJ that everybody's talking about, even though his kid spends hours and hours and hours at night in the basement talking to no one. Like, his dad is just very oblivious in that movie. I, he, but he's not the evil corporate dad, but he is sort of the establishment school uh, administration dad. Right.
2: For a very long time, I movies and books for young people have gotten a little better about this, though not, not much. But for a long time, the role of the parent was either to be an antagonist in the way of what the kid wanted or just totally oblivious. Yeah. Like, they were the two roles. So yep. we've had a lot of dads who have been the root of the behavior yeah. of the of the male leads in the movies we've watched so far um but we've also had a lack of parental uh
0: in other than as an antagonist again like you said they're just not there so like uh, yeah. the parents in this movie of um Billy Jean and Binks the dad is dead and
2: the mom is working really hard never home she's such a single mom stereotype in this movie she's either working or leaving for a date with another guy yeah because it's because that's hopefully
0: it's it's, it's this guy is the one that's going to take care of them Mm -hmm. yeah yeah definitely like a stereotypical 80s single mom I did forget when I first suggested this movie how The class issues in it, I thought were really interesting to me. Mm -hmm. The fact that they are in a trailer, there's all these signs of sort of rural poverty. Yeah. Which is something that I think, I don't know how to frame it in terms of our conversation, but it just, it was more noticeable to me this time around and how it wasn't necessarily the poor kids versus like the really, really rich kids. Like it can be in some of the John Hughes movies and Mm -hmm. the like stereotypical eighties bully characters. It was like the poor kids versus like the slightly less poor, like business owner.
2: Yeah. It weirdly small business owner. Yeah. The class stuff like that is, is really interesting because we like so often, like you said, that's how it's set up. It's the really rich kids and the really poor kids. I was thinking of like, um, one of my favorite books and movies growing up is the outsiders Mm. and the socias versus, um, uh, Versus the greasers, but then there are all these other layers throughout, right? And you do see this, you do see that in this movie a little bit. Um, but one of the other things that stuck out to me... Again, again this movie is so weirdly complicated. <laughs> because you're so right The class is such a huge issue in this movie, but I'm not sure what the movie thinks about that. Because yeah. like one of the things that is in this movie a lot is there's a lot of uh, child abuse like yeah. Yardley's Yardley's character yeah her mother is, it just is beating her Is beating her yeah and then there's that scene and I hate to laugh but when Billie Jean starts making her way across the country mm-hmm. at one point she's in a neighborhood the kid who's being his his abuse is so horrific that the neighborhood children come to Billie Jean to rescue yeah him, and she does does question mark because like the dad is like weirdly impressed by and afraid her of her, and afraid of her. He's and afraid of she...
0: the army of children she's gathered around his house,
2: which is so strange. And then the way she solves this child's trauma is, he goes to spend some time at his grandparents. Mm-hmm. Like it's another thing about this being a teen movie. Child serv—I mean, child services—is its own issue, and I know yeah. that often it does more harm than good. We can put that aside for what I'm about to say. Yeah, like. There should have been some sort of intervention beyond a teen girl set, with an, like, an army of children. What are we doing? No. But also, but also that neighborhood is seems to be a more, I would say like, at least for the 80s a more middle-class-ish neighborhood, but I got the impression that they were the poor family in that neighborhood sure. just by yeah, the yeah, way yeah. The, like the way the father is dressed yeah. and
0: um, Well, and I will say it does fit with the sort of mentality that you and I have talked about before of growing up in specifically New Jersey, but probably this is true everywhere. At this time, it did feel like we were all kind of on our own, mm, even as teenagers yeah. and as kids yeah. that like no one else was going to solve this for us. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the parents were not either aware or didn't care or were busy or were working or were dead or missing or whatever, yeah. like that
2: problems like this were
0: not something we could trust adults to solve.
2: Well, I think... Something that's a fairly new development is recognizing that young people's problems, even if in the grand scheme of things, don't don't feel significant. Like the things that were the biggest issue in my life when I was 12, 13, 14, I can say now were nothing. Right. Like, But at the time they mattered. And I I think weirdly that's something that like adults have only recently really started to understand. (laughs)
1: Well, and Despite also, the fact that yeah. all
2: adults were children at one point. Yeah. Like, it's a weird thing that we just all have, like, tended to lose sight of. And, are...
0: and like, you know, kids being spanked at that age was totally normal. I mean, yeah. thankfully I wasn't. But, like, I know plenty of people who were, including mm-hmm. family members. And, like, they don't see that as, as abusive. This obviously right. is not that. This is, right. like, actual abuse. But, like, there is sort of this weird change shift in perspective on just hitting kids in general that has Mm -hmm. happened over the past like 20 to 30 years
2: yeah well that's how you know the abuse in this movie had to be pretty bad Bad. for them to be making a point of it
0: right right i totally forgot about that that like interlude where like while she's on the run she's asked to help a kid out of an abusive situation and she just was like all right yeah fine i gotta Mm -hmm. i'll take a little detour to this kid's house and like scare the dad it's just like there are also
2: a lot of adults shooting at these children because there's also in that that little collection of scenes in the middle um, where the guy there's like a, a couple and the guy is driving this big truck. Oh, and that's he recognizes right. her. And they he like he shoots says that her car. Yeah. He says he's just trying to shoot out the tires, but he shoots through their the wind back window. I know. He could have killed all of them. Well, they thought putter had been shot, but it was just ketchup. That's no, it wasn't just ketchup. What was it? She gets her period. Remember? Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Yes, she gets her period. I. Oh my god! And then Billie Jean is like the mother figure. Yeah. There's so much, and Yardley is so, or Putter is like so uh, excited about it in a way that just is like so sweet and like. Well, this is also the Judy Bloom
0: generation. This is the Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret generation. Totally. Totally. So periods were a big thing. Yeah. They were a, a significant cultural uh, conversation.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Oh, I love her in this so much. So funny. Um, yeah, she's she's so good.
0: Okay. Oh, yeah. At some point, she says, where can I get a diaphragm? Which, <laughs> that's
2: right. <laughs> uh, she's... Uh, yeah, putter is truly perfect. Uh, yeah. She also has one of my like,
0: other favorite lines, which is, uh, I think it was when Billie Jean was going inside maybe to cut off her hair and somebody asks where she is and she says, she's nervous so she has to pee. <laughs> but in that voice. I get it. I understand.
1: In yeah. that voice.
0: Yeah. I think that, oh, there's some other good lines. When your rich, food isn't supposed to taste like what it is. It's like another mm-hmm. good line. I mean, that's the class divide we really see. Is yeah. the house that Lloyd lives in, is a yeah. fucking mansion, mm-hmm. and his dad is just missing.
2: Just totally gone. I and mean, he is just this like weird little. I don't know what. Just wandering around this big empty house. I
0: do love that there is a male character in this that is. Not the stereotype of the evil. Mm-hmm like yeah you know misogynistic like Lloyd is just there for Billie Jean he's like whatever you he's want babe you're you're great totally I'm there in to
1: support he's a wife guy ele-
0: yeah he's a bi-wife guy because I'm telling you she's a bi-icon I don't care what you say I
2: think you're right that Lloyd's a bi-wife he's a bi-wife
0: guy. yeah I don't I mean the term didn't exist and she's not canonically she's straight yeah. but not really I don't yeah. think
2: she's straight I mean this movie in would have a version of this movie in 2023 would be very different, yes. I think. And I think that, yeah. Ooh. Speaking of this movie in 2023, yeah. $608 in 1985 uh-huh. is $1,700 in uh, 2023. I'm so glad that you figured this so, out. That's <laughs> important. It's still research. not a ton of money. No. Um, but it if might you be you enough to get li- you to Vermont.
0: Yeah. And if you are living at the poverty line, that is a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And it seems like they were. Yeah, um, yeah. No, I, I have respect for Lloyd as the as the wife the by wife guy that he is. I
2: think you're right.
0: Um, and maybe maybe I'm learning something about myself in this process. <laughs> um, I do think it's important that there's a mall in this movie. It's the scene of some very important, or it's the setting for some very important scenes, including the mm. running up an escalator and like. Chasing around sort of the central food court area of the mall. It's a very 80s, uh setting for this to
2: happen. And even in Texas. I, I love there's there's a lot of stuff about the mall that I love. I love them leaving those IOUs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, because
0: they're trying to be righteous in their rebellion. They're trying not mm-hmm. to like do anything that could be conceived of as fully criminal because, you right. know. They're standing up for what's right. Fair is fair.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I will say that it cannot be overstated the hold that that Pen- Pat Benatar's song had <laughs> over my generation at that time. So Lloyd, played by Keith Gordon, is now 62 years old. He um, is also known for a few other movies, but most significantly. Do you know where else we've seen him? I I He's now know. mostly a director. Oh, huh, good for him! But he was Rodney Dangerfield's son and Back to School. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. What a what a star turn that was.
2: Do you want to know while we're talking about? Uh movies at the time do you want to yes do we want to talk about i'm just gonna run these movies off for 1985 okay
0: yes tell me i because i didn't look it up and you did so tell me what other movies came out in 1985
2: they're it's in, uh, absurd back to the future oh of goonies course. oh boonies. breakfast club oh my god legend clue wow yeah
0: weird science oh my god speaking of women with no bras and short cut-off
2: t-shirts <laughs> totally weird science st elmo's fire oh wow um of all of these my favorite better off dead <gasps> which is my favorite john cusack movie i love that movie have we
0: never talked about better off dead andrea
2: maybe we haven't i don't think so I,
0: during the 608 dollars thing all i could think of was i want my two dollars
2: <laughs> i want my two
0: dollars better off dead is one of my all-time favorite movies
2: it 100 percent me as well which means we can't cover it for this podcast I but i love but that I movie so much so much
0: that movie also has a sensitive boy and a mm-hmm. spunky mechanic
2: female,
0: like, yeah. protagonist. Totally. I'm sensing a theme in my
2: favorite yeah. movies. Uh-huh. Um, Teen Wolf. Oh. Okay, another one of my favorites. If you, My favorite 80s movies, Better Off Dead, Real mm-hmm. Genius, both came out in mm-hmm. 1985. Real Genius oh my God. is so good <laughs> it's another I weird bully movie
0: quote half of. of that movie to you yeah mm-hmm. me too oh my god those yeah. were two of the movies i watched the most my
2: entire life like, same absolutely
0: yeah god damn
2: it i would i wish that at least one of those you hadn't seen so we could talk about them on, oh I've i don't seen know them how both much... about
0: a thousand times i know that real genius does have some real problematic shit in it from a misogyny point of view but oh big time but i yeah
2: I have a hard time caring because I love that movie. I know.
0: And I love so Al Hilmer in it so much.
2: much. Uh he's so delightful. He's just such a scamp. God, I love a scamp. Oh, I love a scamp um, too. I also ugh, that movie is so good. The
0: sledding in the hallway. <laughs> For a while there, I was like, I wonder if that's what college is like.
2: Yeah, right? That's what I wanted it to be like. Yeah. It's also a thing that I love about a lot of 80s movies, and this one does it perfectly, is the big over-the-top ending where the, like... The popcorn! It's a perfect ending. And the Tears ending. for Fears song. Oh, my God. It is a perfect
0: ending. It is. That yeah. is something this movie wanted to do and yes. tried to do with Pat Benatar and the burning mm-hmm. of her effigy, basically. hundred percent. I think it kind of... At the time, it got me in the same way it was supposed to. And then in the same way that the popcorn scene in um, Real Genius got me.
2: Oh, my God. Visually, like, like in terms of pure aesthetic and physical, like, sense, devoid of any actual message or successfulness in the story itself, that moment is effective. Oh, it's iconic. Seeing the, like... Again, it, like I could be talking about Real Genius or Legend of Billy Jean right now. Seeing the like old man antagonist who keeps getting in the way and like, yep. and like being and the really evil trouble, evil like, yep. like comic book villain, evil getting yeah. his come up. It's through some big over the top act that is brought on by like while that really iconic song plays is mm-hmm. so good and so effective, yeah. and I think it. It weirdly does. It was a thing where I was watching it, Legend of Billie Jean, and being like, this is working on me. Am I missing something? <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I was like, did I miss something in the telling of this movie that this is so effective despite me knowing the issues of this movie? But it's just, yeah, like, it just works.
0: No, it's partly the music, honestly, mm-hmm. like that oh, Tears yeah. for Fear song and that Pat Benatar song. It actually made me think. So the scene in Better Off Dead that is sort of that climax scene is the race. Mm hmm. Is there a song playing during that race? Uh, I mean, there must
2: be, but the fact that I can't name it tells you. It's not. Yeah. yeah. It's not
0: associated with it in the same way. Yeah.
2: Oh, that's so interesting.
0: Oh, real genius. So good. I feel like at some point just for us, we should do like a doubleheader, real genius, better off dead podcast marathon situation.
2: Love to. We
0: make the rules on this we, podcast. Do. we could just record us watching it and just reciting all the lines and have it be the
2: most <laughs> annoying thing that's ever been recorded. Pee-wee's Big Adventure also came out in 1985. Oh my God. Yeah.
0: That is quite the year.
2: And then movies that I don't care about, but that I know are relevant. Mask, Cocoon. Mask uh,
0: came out in 85 too?
2: Yeah. The Which one? one? The, right. Mask. Not The Mask. The one with... um uh, Cher? Eric Stoltz and Cher, yeah.
0: <gasps> that's the one I...
2: Think of when I think of the movie Mask. Uh huh. I, I yeah. It uh. I've actually never seen it, but I know the like. Oh God, uh, yeah. Return to Oz, which you haven't seen. No. I. Mm, we. Haven't. I've got it. It's my. Oh my God. Hold on. Also, women short haircut. Wait. Just one of the guys. Another <gasps> deeply problematic movie that I have a lot of love for. Me too, me too. Oh my god, that movie! There's so much. Also, eighty-five a is insane.
0: Significant movie in of queer history course. without meaning to be, of course. Yeah, or maybe with meaning to be, but I don't think so. And I, I, I,
2: tr- I couldn't tell you, but it's the it- most male gazey queer movie I can possibly think of. Yeah, absolutely. Um, also, this is again, nineteen eighty-five big movies for me in particular. I don't think anybody else cares about Once Bitten. It's the Jim Carrey vampire movie. I definitely don't. No, I won't make us watch (laughs) that. It doesn't. And then lots of other, lots of horror movies that came out. um, But yeah. But that is a huge list. Yeah.
0: Especially in the list of like iconic movies to me personally. Mm -hmm. A whole bunch of them are in there. Yeah, same. Okay. So I think the thing that I think is interesting about this movie and why I wanted us to do it was, especially on a rewatch, there are so many themes and connections to other movies that you and I have talked about. Um, And honestly, to Yellow Jackets as well, even though it's Mm -hmm. a decade earlier in terms of, I mean, I guess at a base level, just in terms of like women and them sort of taking charge of their own experience and their own actions and like. I don't know it's 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 a pretty base obvious connection and it's not like a deep one in any real way but it does kind of fall along this lineage that we've been talking about of these types of shows and movies mm-hmm. totally and honestly anything that gets us to a reference to the mixed up files of mrs basically <laughs> franklin is a worthy use of my time because i could go read that move that book again right now and be thrilled
2: I'm so glad we watched this movie. I think like, I'm so glad that you're glad like you like you said it really it does it in a very interesting way that has come up over and over again in the last hour and a half or so that we've been talking. We've been talking longer than that. But for the edit's sake, we'll mm-hmm. say hour and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting to see a movie that is so almost saying really important things <sighs> trying it i I think in a lot of ways well in some ways it's trying to say really important things and in other ways it is speaking to some important things that it doesn't realize it's it's speaking to right And, and i think part of that is like the reason that i'm being i'm saying that but not in like i don't really mean it in a negative way is that like 1985 like it's pretty early to be starting the conversations that you and i are so versed in, in having at this point, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, but they were co- like they were conversations that felt like, like you bringing up Madonna and her being so groundbreaking in a lot of mm-hmm. what she was doing too. So like, I want to give, I want to cut this movie some slack, despite all of the shit that I have talked on it over the last hour.
1: Um,
0: Wait, I have, I have some late breaking news. Ooh, I have some late breaking news that may, that may rock your world. Okay. I'm ready. It may not. Um, one of the writers of The Legend of Billie Jean uh-huh. is Lawrence Connor. Do you know what else Lawrence Connor is uh, involved with? I don't know that I do. As a writer, um, Lawrence Connor was a writer on, I'm pausing because I want to pull this up on the screen, The Many Saints of Newark. <laughs>
2: But not the Sopranos series. Nope. Also involved in the
0: Sopranos. Okay. Also a writer on the Sopranos Uh for a few episodes.
1: Uh Uh-huh.
0: Um I feel like that is a lovely uh full circle moment.
2: So many parallels between the legend of Billy Jean and the Sopranos, huh? (laughs) So many. (laughs) It just I mean Jersey That's the dissertation I wanna read. (laughs) Jersey's gonna Jersey's gonna show up. It just, it can't help itself. I know.
0: Also involved with Little House on the Prairie, oh. which I was obsessed with for a minute.
2: I didn't um, watch the show, but those books were important to me.
0: Yeah. Um, but yeah, involved with The Sopranos and with the movie, The Many Saints of Newark, for those who don't know, which is The Sopranos movie, essentially.
2: Yeah, it's the only um, Sopranos media that I've consumed is is that <laughs> Which movie. is so
0: wild. Can, I watched uh, The Sopranos, but I did not
2: watch the movie. So I don't know what to tell you about it because I. You have no reference. I have no reference. Okay.
0: I think that's a good way to bring it full circle. Back to our uh, two women from opposite ends of New Jersey.
2: What if our new TV. rule should be we can't end a podcast until. Without we connect it to, without yeah. connecting it to New Although Jersey? Although you somehow. and I, I every that's podcast could be three minutes long. We could do that. Yeah, that's not so difficult. Quickly.
0: I'm sure we've already done it, um, but we just did it again exactly. in that the guy that wrote on Sopranos wrote this movie. Yeah, so done.
2: Check. Well, thank you for sharing that movie with me, Jody. I will let um, oh, you're so welcome. You and our listeners know what we're gonna watch for next week um after just a little bit of um, I don't know if housekeeping is the right word. Um, oh, where did the art where did the email go? Hold on.
0: Well, while you do that, mm-hmm. um, we should mention, since we began as a Yellow Jackets-based podcast, that Yellow Jackets oh. has been nominated for some Emmys, which we're very happy about. Uh, Outstanding um, Casting, which they also won for last time. Or not won for, excuse me, we're nominated for. Uh, Melanie Linsky for Outstanding Lead Actress in a Drama. Clap, clap, clap. Clap, clap, clap. We love Melanie. Um,
2: which we kind of I mean that was sort of the like buzz yep. she's yep. also nominated for uh, Last of Us I think though, which right? is
0: incredible I think so yeah I lo- I still need to make you watch Last of Us and then the show itself is nominated for Outstanding Drama Series
2: do we think um, there's a chance that they'll win any of
0: those I doubt it um, this is like I mentioned last time this is Succession's last season mm-hmm. I do feel like they're going to be rewarded for that um, they tend I feel like the Emmys tend, and the Oscars tend to do that, like, reward for previous achievements. I think Sarah Snook is going to take the best actress in a drama for Succession. Um, And I think Outstanding Drama Series, the nominees were Andor, Better Call Saul, House of the Dragons, Succession, The Crown, Last of Us, White Lotus, and Yellow Jackets. If I had to guess, I'd say that's going to go to Succession Mm -hmm. also. But I think that
2: there was another one you said in there that popped for me as either succession or white Lotus. No, it was better one call of the... Saul. Better call Saul. Cause that one
0: that's because again, because that just ended.
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. I could see that.
2: Um,
0: so that I was our we'll yellow see. jackets related housekeeping. Yeah. And sadly, no Tawny's accent quarter for the week. I did not find any in my two weeks in New Hampshire <laughs> with
2: limited internet access. We'll try to, we'll try to redeem ourselves next week. Yes. Um, And what are we watching next week? Do we know? Well, one thing I do want to, we did receive, we got an email that I think I want to touch on because I do think it's important. Um, We talked about Scream last week. We talked Mm -hmm. about the horrificness of Stu and um, Billy. We talked about the horrificness of Billy and Stewie raping and murdering Sydney's mom. Mm Mm-hmm. But somebody pointed out, one one of our listeners, Elizabeth, emailed us and said, um, hey, all, I don't think the boys raped the mom. There's a scene with the reporter with Gail and mm-hmm. Sydney about Cotton in jail and why he's innocent. It's, it specifically states he and the mom oh. made love and he forgot his jacket when he left. I believe the right. boys talk about framing him also at the end of the movie. I believe I'm right about this. I just watched the movie for the first time last night before listening to the podcast. It makes okay. a huge difference to the interpretation of what the movie is saying.
0: Fully totally, yes. totally, totally. Great point. Thank you, Elizabeth, because um, I missed I missed that little um, textual difference. Well,
2: because it is it is a weird the subplot or not subplot, but the like the context of Cotton Weary is in jail because Sydney testified against him with right. faulty information. Right. Because he was framed by Billy and Stu. it's yep. a little. It gets a little mixed up there. Yep. And no, but that's such a good point because it does change yeah. it entirely. Well, and it says a lot too because Sydney is so against the idea of her mother cheating on her father, um, right? Which we, which she did. We we yeah. know that. Um, right. It doesn't make her uh, deserving of a brutal. Don't murder. make her a bad guy.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, but it's also why. Billy feels justified in murdering her. Yes. In framing Cotton. Yeah. In coming back to murder the rest of her family. Like that's yeah. Billy's motivation, even though he, you know, he doesn't admit that till the end of the movie. Right. Um but just the fact of her like infidelity or whatever is enough in in these teen boys' heads, at least Billy's to justify right. that is yeah. is significant
0: totally but that it's so true that that like really does that's an important difference in how the what the movie is saying and how it's saying
2: it so um so thank you so much elizabeth for sending that in um listeners feel free to send us in yeah um uh especially when it's something i mean send us any corrections you want get as as picky as you'd like that one was so uh important important. though yeah Yeah. and i really appreciate you pointing that out to us so thank you elizabeth yes and
0: thank all of our listeners for listening. Yeah, sorry about last week. Blame the New Hampshire
2: internet <laughs> services. I I'm couldn't do it. Always blame a New England if I can blame New England.
0: Yeah. There were also like 30 people in a very small house, and I couldn't find a quiet place to record, even if I had good
2: Wi Fi. So put them all on mic. Oh my the God, Jody, no. Jody family. We don't brain. need that. So um, the movie we're going to watch is one that is I'm sort of picking the way you picked yours, which is it's a movie I haven't Mm -hmm. seen in a very long time. But it's one that I loved as a kid. And I think of it as a very foundational movie for me and who I am. Um, It's not a very it's not a funny movie. Um, It is a pretty intense movie. Um, I will say content warning up top right away for pretty her like not i wouldn't say graphic but definitely uh explicit and horrific child abuse um Mm. so if that's something that is uh going to be difficult for you to watch um, or if you had a like rageful alcoholic parent (laughs) for for example on the trailer yeah um this might be one you either want to skip or just make sure that you're kind of in, in a headspace for for it um it is a beautiful movie, though. It is um, one that um, has a lot to do with, like, thinking of Yellow Jackets. It has a lot to do with, like, memory and um, dealing with the past and um, w- how we handle our childhood trauma. So I think that that's And all the role of
0: fantasy in that, it seems totally like, for what I saw in the trailer.
2: A hundred percent. So yeah, um, I could see that working. I think that it's it's, I think there are there's this movie, hmm, a lot of the movies we've picked so far ended up being really thematically similar to each other, or, or not even just thematically similar, but just having a lot of similarities. I don't know that that's going to be the case with Radio Flyer, though. I might. This the... is the first time you said the name of the movie? By the way. Oh really? We're watching Radio Flyer. Oh, we're watching Radio Flyer, 1992 movie starring Elijah Wood, um, Adam Baldwin. Uh, Elijah Wood is the only one who matters, um, and <laughs> some some other people who cares. Uh, um, and it's it's a beautiful movie that I love very much. Again, I haven't seen it in in quite some time though, so we'll we'll have to see what that ends up doing for us. I'm excited. I'm excited. There soon. aren't like there aren't
0: a lot of movies we're discovering that both of us don't already love yeah so I think you know I was in 1992 I was 16 so this would have I would have been too cool for this movie it's not in my own head despite the two
2: leads being kids I don't know that I would call this a kid's movie despite the fact that I watched it and loved it as a child though I was a pretty melancholy kid so that might right that might explain that um But yeah, so yeah. so all that to say if you need to skip this one, we understand. Uh, if you want to join us for the conversation without watching the movie, we also understand. Obviously, there'll be spoilers, but there won't be uh like graphic descriptions of child abuse, so you'll get to avoid that. No, I would highly highly suggest you watch this movie though if you are if you feel like you can because it is really beautiful um and it means a lot to me in general. Um and I think that's...
0: I'm excited. It, that's had, it From the trailer, it had hints of Stand By Me and Goonies and lots of other sort of like David and Goliath story kind of ideas, absolutely. which I always love. Yeah, absolutely.
2: So. Yay. So that's what we'll be watching next week. We will be back awesome. next week. Um, keep... Yes, I will not be in New Hampshire. <laughs> I will be here. Keep reaching out to us on um, Twitter and or Instagram at WatchersPodNJ. Email us at uh, WatchersPodNJ at gmail.com um jody if you want them tell us things that we got wrong please yeah jody if they want to follow you where can they do that they can find me on instagram at jody
0: j-o-d-i-e underscore m-i-m it's my art page has nothing to do with this but (laughs) if you
2: like textile art and other random shit follow me there jody's a good follow and andrea i'm at aq andrea q in all of the places (laughs) Mostly I am posting about our podcast and the other podcasts I'm part of. And right now I'm in the middle of posting about a podcast I'm not part of, um, but a a little project for myself that I'm two thirds of the way through, thankfully. So, Um, yes.
0: And if you're if you're interested in music and um, music conversations, you could listen to Left of the
2: Dial, your other podcast so much. Yeah, of course. And if you're interested in New Jersey, Oh yeah, that's uh our podcast, New Jersey is the world, where Jody has yet to make weirdly, an official appearance on Mike, though you are nope, not in one. an episode at, at least once a month as one of our favorite uh voicemail callers and is an f- not as prolific as some, but you're officially unofficially, officially unofficially a member of the New Jersey is the world <laughs> family. You're officially a member of the New Jersey is the world family despite Never being never appearing on the podcast. <laughs> Despite actually appearing yes. on the podcast. It's very complicated here right. in New Jersey. <laughs> exactly. Yes.
0: Yeah. So if you're interested in any of those things, music, New Jersey, come find us there. Yeah. Love. And um we'll see you next week for a movie I've never seen. I'm really excited. I'm excited too. See you later. Uh, How do I end this? We, How do we uh, we this? used
2: to say see you in the woods, but
0: Oh yeah. Well I was just in the woods. I don't want to go back right now.
2: I'll say we'll see you in the air because of Radio Flyer.
0: Okay. See you in a wagon? Sounds good. See you in See you in a wow, this is getting weird. (laughs) How about we'll just see you next week. Okay. That's good. See you next
1: week.